It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 267 for November 6th, 2011. Recorded November 4th. Do you ever find yourself wishing that you could show someone what's on your computer screen or reach out and take control of somebody else's computer? You send somebody instructions about how to do something, instructions that to you are crystal clear, but the person you're trying to help doesn't read what you wrote or assumes that you meant something other than what you wrote or simply can't figure out that any key means any key, not a key labeled any. It'd be faster if you could just sit in front of that other person's computer and do what needs to be done. Well, the good news is you can, and without leaving your home. Sometimes written instructions just don't get the job done. In those cases, you need to either physically go to a parent's or grandparent's or co-worker's or the house or office of some other non-computer person Or you need to connect via the Internet to the computer at that person's home or office. What you need is a way to show the other person what's on your screen, or better yet, take control of the other person's computer. Well, lots of options exist. Log me in, log me in rescue, acrobat.com from Adobe, Bombgar, Crossloop, Yugu, Mikogo, and really a bunch of others. Which would be the right one for you? Commercial support operations often choose LogMeIn Rescue or BombGar. They're expensive, but these applications are designed for support operations with a lot of technicians. For small businesses and individuals, they're really not viable options. The basic and free LogMeIn application is probably not a good choice for most people either because it requires that the person who needs support install an application that makes the computer available at any time to anyone who has the proper credentials. Yugu offers a free download, but a monthly fee knocks it out of the running for supporting family members. Crossloop? Well, it's designed primarily to be a fee-based service. Acrobat.com from Adobe is a great way to share what's on your screen, but not to take control of a remote user's screen. And then there's Mikogo. It looks like a winner. Easy to set up, free for home use, secure, reliable. In other words, it's probably just what you're looking for. You can download the application from the Mikogo.com website and start it. When you're ready to start a session, Mikogo will provide a URL and a session key. Provide these to the person you're trying to help, and it should be very easy to establish a connection. It's so easy that I can describe it right here. The person you want to help will follow a link to the Mikogo login page and fill in the nine-digit session ID. The format of the number is three digits, a dash, three more digits, a dash, and the final three digits. Depending on the browser the person is using, there will be an option to either run or download an application from the Mikogo site. This might be the one sticking point. This is where you'll have to talk the person through how to get this file on their computer and run it. Then a window will open in the upper right corner of their screen and the user simply clicks the chat icon. That isn't really necessary, but it does help because you can type information to the user and they can type information back to you. If you don't need that, 
you don't need to enable it. You can then request that the person you are helping give you access to their computer. A message will pop up on their screen. Just tell them to click the Yes button. And at that point, you're in control of the other person's computer. When you're finished, at the end of the session, Makogo will display a dialog box that the user can fill in to create an account of their own. I generally recommend that people simply close that box by clicking the X in the upper right-hand corner. And that's a heck of a lot easier than driving across town. The bottom line on Mikogo for cats, a few rough edges don't really limit Mikogo's functionality. Mikogo works for Windows, Mac, and Linux users. That's a real plus. It's free for non-commercial use and easy to use for both the person providing support and the person receiving support. For more information, visit the Mikoko website. You'll find a link to it, and you'll find a lot of images from a screen-sharing session on the TechBiter Worldwide website. I've never really been a fan of iTunes. Now, have I mentioned that before? Well, the problem was that you didn't have a lot of choices if you had Apple format music and an iPod. Note the past tense. I looked at several applications that promised to be able to manage my iTunes music, and I found one that actually does. I can tell you the story in just three words, but you can probably bet that I'll use more. In fact, that would be a very safe bet. But here are the three words. Media Monkey Wins. I looked at Songbird. It found only about 3,000 music tracks on my computer. Well, I have nearly 30,000 tracks, so finding 10% of them wasn't quite good enough. One called the Quintessential Media Player found around 11,000 and then crashed. The free version of Media Monkey found everything, and it didn't crash. You may have noticed that I didn't mention Winamp. Although I paid for Winamp many years ago, it was eventually acquired by AOL, and the user interface is about a decade behind the times. There's also the Windows Media Player, but I wanted something that would be able to handle the large library I've amassed, and MediaMonkey seems to do that very well. MediaMonkey is available as a free or paid application. The free version emits some features that I consider important. $20 will buy these additional capabilities. Support for multiple collections, rock and classical, for example. If you like just one kind of music, that might not be important to you. On-the-fly audio conversion and leveling. That's important only if you don't want to spend a lot of time adjusting the volume control. Advanced searches and auto playlists. Unlimited MP3 encoding. There's an option for virtual CDs, previews, and there's a sleep timer. There's an automatic library organizer that runs as a background process. You can do high-speed conversion and leveling if you have a multi-core system. And CD and DVD burning of both audio and data at 48x speed. But the free version of MediaMonkey already has an audio music manager for any individual kinds of music, an audio player and leveler for MP3, AAC, AUG, WMA, and FLAC files, plus a few others, podcatcher and DJ functions, CD Ripper and Audio Converter that allows you to encode MP3, AUG, and WMA. There's an Auto Renamer and File Organizer. Auto Tag Editor with Album Art Lookup. You can find duplicate tracks and missing tags. There's a Playlist Manager. You can generate reports and statistics. This is all in the free version. 
There's customization via add-ons and plugins. You can sync and back up your iPod, iPhone, iPad, and several other kinds of MP3 players. There is a file monitor that automatically updates your library. And the CD and DVD burner is present, but it runs only at 4x speed. Well, I wanted the paid version. They call it the gold version, but I didn't want to pay for it. Media Monkey offers payment through trial pay. If you can find something that you need on the trial pay list, or something that you'll never use, but that's free otherwise, you can obtain the trial pay application for free. Previously, I had used trial pay to obtain an application that I wanted and a subscription to Consumer Reports at the same time. For Media Monkey, there was an offer to sign up for a Discover card. No requirement to use the card ever, just sign up for it, be approved, and you get Media Monkey Gold for free. Ha <laughs> Sold. Bottom line on Media Monkey, Media Monkey will climb onto your computer and do a good job organizing your music. Whether you choose the free or paid version, Media Monkey will organize your music tracks in a way that just about anybody can comprehend. For more information, visit the Media Monkey website. You'll find a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Password organization is becoming a very big job. I've mentioned previously that I like LastPass. That's an online service that stores your encrypted passwords on an Internet-based server, which is to say, in the cloud. Because it does this, you can access passwords from any computer that has an Internet connection. Some network administrators and some users are reluctant to store passwords on what is essentially a public server, even when they are encrypted and protected by a strong password. But then what? How many passwords do you have to remember, and how often do they change? It's not uncommon for an individual to have a dozen or more passwords. Some of us may have upwards of a hundred. Using the same password for trivial accounts is okay. But every important account, and by important I mean you should think financial or work-related, these should all have their own unique, strong password. Many companies require the use of passwords such as UFC equals M8Q plus BLD OCR2 tick 6MD dollar sign. Now how the heck do you remember that? Obviously you don't, and many people will simply write down a password like that which obviates the purpose of the password. KeePass 2 stores passwords in an encrypted file locally so that even nervous users can use it. KeePass and KeePass 2 are free, open-source applications for users of Windows. Passwords are stored in an encrypted database in a single file that can easily be transferred from one computer to another. KeePass allows you to divide your passwords into groups, for example, login, email, work, websites. Several other options exist for using the application in an automated way to type usernames and passwords for you. Users can print out the password list or a current view. If you do that, do remember to shred the printout when you're done. A search function allows you to locate credentials you're looking for even if you have hundreds of usernames and passwords. There's even a tool that creates passwords custom-made to your specifications. Although KeePass 2 has been available for several years, the developers continue to offer the original application because it can be installed on a thumb drive for exceptional portability. KeePass 2 includes some additional features, though, such as the ability to synchronize the password file on many computers via FTP. However, 
A network administrator who's nervous about storing passwords elsewhere isn't going to like that option. Creating a safe, secure password really isn't very hard. If you once lived in Chicago, owned a dog named Squeaker, and your office is at 4784 First Avenue, a good password might be Chicago 4784 Squeaker. You could even leave a reminder by your computer. Windy office dog. Even somebody who knows you pretty well probably would be unable to decrypt that. But if you need 10 passwords or 50 or 100, this becomes more than a little tedious, particularly if you have to change those passwords every, oh, say, 45 days, and you can't reuse any of your most recent dozen passwords. KeePass creates the kind of password you won't be able to remember. If you want extreme security, instead of a 15 or 20 character password, you can choose a 256-bit hex key, and if you'd like to see an example of it, Check the TechBiter Worldwide website. Just reading it would probably take close to a minute. For simpler passwords, consider this. The English language has 52 letters. 26 uppercase, 26 lowercase. And there are 10 numbers. So those characters alone can create an 8-letter password that has 62 times 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 62 possible permutations. Uh, quick math, that comes out to about 218 trillion. If somebody who's trying to break such a password by brute force could test, oh, say, 100 passwords per second, and we would assume that the average crook would exhaust about half of the possibilities before stumbling onto the correct password, the process would take a little less than 35,000 years. And KeePass helps you not only by creating a secure password, but it stores the password for you. So maybe you're wondering what happens if somebody steals the password file. Well, it's encrypted. And in addition to that, the passwords are encrypted even when KeePass is running and unlocked. If the computer should crash while KeePass is unlocked, the resulting memory dump that's written to the disk will contain only the encrypted copy of the file. KeePass itself must, of course, be protected by a password. And it should be a strong password, but it also should be a memorable password. Forget this password, and all of your super-secret passwords stored by KeePass will be unavailable. So this is a good time to choose a password that you can remember with a memory trick such as Windy Office Dog. And don't forget to back up your password file several times in multiple locations. If the data file on your computer is lost to a disk crash or system corruption, you do want to be able to recover it. The bottom line on KeePass, 5Cats, the password protection tool has everything. It's quick, it's easy, it's secure, and it's free. If you have passwords and you are concerned about forgetting them, losing them, or having them stolen, this is the application you need. For more information, you can visit the KeePass website, and guess what? You'll find a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, Gmail gets a new look. I quote from the Gmail site, You will automatically get upgraded to the new look soon. That's what Google Mail told me on Thursday, and then offered me the option to take the new look now instead of waiting until later. And yes, get should really have been be, but let's ignore the grammatical imperfections for now. You might wonder, what's this new look all about? Gmail is not my primary email provider. I have my own domain. 
If I'm desperate, my internet service provider gives me several email accounts, but I do use Gmail as a second-level archive for my main accounts. I really don't care much what it looks like. But the new look is better. It's cleaner, or as Google puts it, more modern. The new look brings new themes, and even though Google isn't my primary provider, I do have two accounts, and each of them has a theme. That way I can tell them apart. Themes, background colors, and image options all have been improved, but this means that some themes are no longer available, and users can't customize web clips with RSS feeds anymore. You can no longer limit your contacts' pictures to the ones you've chosen for them, but you will still see the picture you've selected next to their messages. Oh, and if you don't like the changes, you can still use the basic HTML version of email by following a link that Google provides. Is the overall look and feel better? Absolutely. So does this mean I'll use Gmail as my primary email provider? No, absolutely not. Google released a Gmail app this week, but two hours later it disappeared. Users were, not to put too fine a point on it, upset. Really upset. The Gmail app, which works with the iPhone, iPad, and iTouch, was supposed to be fast and efficient. Google said it would take full advantage of the touchscreen and notification capabilities of the device it was running on. Well, not quite. Those who tried it blasted Google for releasing an application that provided functionality similar to the Gmail web application. Even worse, the Apple app wasn't able to provide the user experience that the company's app for Android does. So within two hours, Google agreed with the assessment that the app shouldn't have been released and stopped offering it through the Apple App Store. Advertising experts know that a great advertising campaign can be a liability if the product being advertised isn't very good. These days, the advertising campaign isn't necessary for something like this. A product or service that's not well thought through will be trashed quickly. Just ask Google if you'd like confirmation of that. And if you downloaded the app during its brief life in the store, you can still use it. Internet Explorer improves, but continues to lose market share. Here are some fighting words to diehard fans of Google Chrome and Mozilla Firefox. There's not much difference these days between Chrome, Firefox, and Internet Explorer. Boy, am I going to hear from people about that. That said, IE continues to lose market share to Chrome and Firefox. Opera continues to wait for the fat lady to sing, and she doesn't show any real signs of preparing to sing. The rating site, netmarketshare.com, says Internet Explorer has fallen under 50% in total market share, but the latest erosion didn't come from Chrome or Firefox. Apple's browser, Safari, has more than a 60% market share for mobile traffic, and that is the future like it or not. You'll see a couple of net market share graphics on the TechBiter Worldwide website. They show that most users are still using desktop systems, but mobile use has exceeded 5% and is positioned for quick growth. In 1968, I was working in Fort Wayne as the assistant news director. The station issued me a recorder that I could carry in one hand. Until then, recording on location required a recorder that plugged into an outlet and used 5-inch reels of tape. This whole recorder was less than 5 inches wide, about 9 inches long, and less than 2 inches deep. 
It weighed a couple of pounds and ran for an hour or so on its batteries. A year or two later, I bought one for myself. You'll find a picture of it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Today's gear for radio reporters is nothing less than phenomenal. The recorder is actually included now in the microphone. You'll also see a picture of one of those on the TechBiter Worldwide website. These new devices will record for several hours using just the memory installed in them and the power provided by the internal batteries. So at a time when the tools would make it possible to have the best news teams ever, there are, except for NPR, no markets for news gathering equipment. And that's what caused me to think about a time when it was a very big thing to have a recorder that would fit in a briefcase. Or maybe it was a very small thing. In any event, it was 1968. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.